How to Manage a Crisis, Lessons from Shackleton's Antarctic Adventure, How to Reset and Rewire Your Leadership Language. Welcome to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join national presenter and consultant Rory Rowland as he discusses another aspect of powerful coaching and how it transforms people to improve your organization. Welcome to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Hi, Rory. Hey, Paul. It's great to be here. Thank you, my friend. Hope you're doing well. We still have the opportunity to talk about coaching and how it can uh, help you. You've been focusing on coaching in times of crisis in the last few episodes, and right. uh, we're going to revisit Shackleton again. Absolutely. There's nobody that manages more effectively in a crisis and leads in a crisis more effectively than Ernest Shackleton. So I love talking about Ernest Shackleton, and we're going to kind of expand upon his ideas a little bit uh, today and continue on that path. Last time, we talked about how to coach in a crisis, right. and Shackleton definitely did that. What other things did he bring to the table during that rough time? Well, he really brought to the table a sense of optimism. I want to actually talk about that last, but if I can, I want to give people that may not have listened to the last episode who are brand new to the Shackleton kind of like a 30-second uh, summary of his great adventure, if I can, and then we'll talk about you know, uh, about his crew, if that's okay. Do you mind me? You might be jumping good. around there for a Sounds minute. Sounds good. Okay. Well, anyway, in, uh, from 1915 to 1917, Ernest Shackleton decided he wanted to not only go to the South pole, but actually cross Antarctica. And, uh, Scott had actually gone to the South pole, got close and actually died on his way back. said had actually gotten there. So, the Norwegians won the experience of actually getting there, which was a great bruise to the British ego and their sense of self-pride on being great explorers. So Ernest Shackleton wanted to actually do something extraordinary, and that was actually cross it. So he actually had two boats, one called the Endurance, which he was on, and he called it the Endurance because it was his family's motto, by endurance we prevail. And so he was going to go basically go to the South Pole, but he's going to have another crew from the other side go to the South Pole from the other side, and then leave provisions so he could come out the other side. And uh, But unfortunately, their ship got stuck in the Weddell Sea uh, with an ice flow. It actually got crushed in the Weddell Sea, and they had to escape over 1,500 miles on three lifeboats. You can imagine 27 people hmm. getting on lifeboats and actually traveling hundreds of miles in the Antarctic Ocean uh, when the water is so cold when it comes over the top, it actually freezes on top of the oh, lifeboats. So it was an incredibly challenging task. Uh, they did, in fact, accomplish that goal, and all of his members survived. And some of his leadership lessons are absolutely legendary on how he helped his team survive. And so that's what I want to talk about today is just my excitement, my enthusiasm, my energy for Ernest Shackleton, how to manage in a crisis. And these ideas are ideas that everybody can use. So I'm, I'm really geeked about having the opportunity to talk about Ernest Shackleton. It, it just said, it's just such a great story to tell at these times of real challenge and how he Absolutely. overcame those yeah and and there were just a huge number of times when he didn't even know he was going to survive and and one of the examples is they had gone literally uh they they took the rest of the crew to an island called elephant island then they took one boat uh the james cared and they took that from elephant island to south georgia island uh, which is just the southern tip of south america and they hit it, hit it just right. If they missed it, the winds and the current would take them far, far away, and they would have died at sea. There's just no question about it. I mean, it was one of these things where you have to hit a 
you have to hit a pin drop on a map and uh, and navigate 800 miles when they you know there wasn't clap there were clouds out you couldn't always see the stars you were in a rocking boat so you couldn't always just navigate pers- you know purposely or per- uh, precisely on the challenge there uh, but they got there and then one of the things that they did is they landed on the wrong side of the island their boat was actually beginning to sink and they just had to they just had to land on the island um, when they landed on the island, they were on the wrong side of the island, and they actually had to go across the island. Well, it's kind of like crossing the Andes. They had some peaks that went up to 10,000 feet. Oh. So you can imagine you've been on this boat for days, uh, nine days or so. You're out of water. You're just exhausted. And they get there, and then they've got to basically climb over the Andes to do that. And there was one spot when they were up, and they had been trying to navigate their way through it, and they had to backtrack a number of times because – they would literally go to the edge and see a crevasse, and it would just be thousands of feet straight down. And as they were going down this one uh, time, it's getting to the edge of the day. Uh, the weather was starting to cool off. He estimated it was about 4,000 feet, and they just had to get down the mountain almost immediately. And they were trying to walk down the mountain, and they couldn't. And so he finally said to all of his – he had two other men with him at this point that were going to go to the whaling station to get help. And he basically uh, – you know, took a, a piece of wood, uh, fashioned a toboggan and said, everybody hang on, we're going to slide down. And you've got to understand that they had seen these huge crevasses. They had seen these huge, uh, you know, break off of the, of the glaciers and it just be just straight down. And he couldn't see the bottom. He just, he, he just literally went on faith alone thinking that this would be uh, a safe thing to do. Oh, so they goodness. literally, all of them, you know, bundled together, got on this basically toboggan kind of approach and literally slid down the mountain at speeds that were so fast that they could feel the air being pushed out of them because the, the change in the pressure was so tremendous. And they finally did landed on a spot that was flat and then they ended up in a snowbank and they were safe and they got down low enough where they were warm enough they were going to survive. But it's just an extraordinary story there. You know, he just that's probably the second to third day uh, before they we're actually getting to the whaling station. And it's just an extraordinary story of all the risk that he took to save their lives. But the lessons he left all of us are just extraordinarily great. And, you know, one of the things that he did is one of his first lessons is he always kept his crew, the well-being of his crew first. Um, he recognized that once the boat, the endurance was got sunk in the Weddell Sea, he knew that he had to save his men. So that was his first uh, once he decided he wasn't going to go to the South Pole because he couldn't get there with his provisions, the boat was sinking. It was getting crushed in the Weddell Sea. And so his goal was then to save all of the men. And it took him basically 17 months from the time that they started till the time that they finished that they actually got saved. So it was an extraordinary uh, story in that regard. And I just I love that aspect of it. Yeah, he, he cared more about his crew. And then that made them motivated to help the entire uh goal of everyone being saved he showed that right they knew that he cared about them immensely and he wanted to save them and that's such an incredibly motivating thing when you're following somebody like that um there's a north pole expedition that a lot of people died on that one and the guy there was stephenson and he actually what he did when their boat got stuck in the north pole about a year before uh, ernest shackleton's boat got stuck at the south pole uh, he actually went you know out hunting caribou and, yeah. uh, you know, he wanted to he wanted to feed his team. But once he left his team, they just splintered and things just went badly. And that's where Ernest Shackleton never left his team until the end where he had to leave them at Elephant Island and take one lifeboat and go to uh, and, and then go to 
South Georgia Island in order to find a whaling expedition. And he did it and he succeeded and he went back and got them. And actually, the other side of the coin is, too, he cared so much about his team that it actually took him four attempts to get back to save his crew from Elephant Island. There was so much ice around the ship that uh, he couldn't get to it. And finally, on the fourth attempt, he was able to get there. But, of course, they didn't know. It took about three and a half months uh, from the time that he left to the time he got back to save them. So you can imagine being on this island and being stranded and saying, you know, how are we going to survive? And uh, they lived on penguin and seal and just would hunt them uh, on the island. And then they basically turned one of the lifeboats over upside down, and that became their hut that they all lived in. So just an incredibly, an incredible story of survival, but his well-being of his crew is his number one, number one goal. Yeah, and somehow they knew that that was mm-hmm. they could yeah. just really tell. Right. What he else did he do? Living with him. What else did he do to keep his mind straight? Well, one of the things that Ernest Shackleton did, and he's a lot like Harry Truman in this regard, and I'm a fan of both of them, obviously. But Shackleton read it broadly, and his for wisdom and guidance. Uh, from all of his life journeys. And and that was one of the keys that he learned. He learned about how to be a great leader by just being incredibly well-read. And that's one of the Harry Truman's qualities, too. He's an extraordinarily well-read individual. And he knew that through all of these stories and all of these adventures that he had read about, that, you know, if you stay persistent, you stay after it, if you endure, you can, in fact, prevail. And so that's one of his one of his guiding principles, too, was the well-being of his crew, but obviously reading broadly for wisdom and guidance from all of life's journeys is so important. Yeah, that's where you get the inspiration to uh, continue. Yeah, absolutely. What else did he do? Well, he also learned from the mistakes of other people that were managers or bosses above him. Uh, on one ship, when he was a brand new kind of recruit, it might have been the first trip he ever took uh, on a sailing ship. Uh, obviously, he was a crew member and he was incredibly poorly treated by one of the uh, one of the uh, it wasn't the captain but one of the you know the managers or bosses on the ship and actually um, the, the sea was so bad that they actually you know chained the kids up so they wouldn't get you know blown overboard so he was uh, chained up here and one of the guys came along and just smashed his foot and Shackleton was so angry reached forward grabbed his leg and bit into it so abruptly that this guy squealed with pain. Uh, but the guy never mistreated him again. I mean, Shackleton really bit into the guy. and But he also realized that never mistreat your folks. And so he always treated his people with great respect and great dignity. He valued them tremendously. And because they knew they were valued, they valued him as a leader. And so that really cultivated a sense of, of, a, of camaraderie and one of his one of his uh, members of the team, his ne- name was Hussey, and he said uh, the comrade the comradeship of the team was probably the greatest thing that they had. Um, Shackleton just required them to work well together as a team, and that was so important for the survival of all of them. Because you can imagine being together with twenty seven people for eighteen months with no television, no internet, no other communication. Um, and you've had all of the communication, you've talked about everything in life about them. You can imagine how boring that becomes, but they all stuck together and their comradeship was the key to keeping them alive and making sure that they survived. That's a really interesting concept. It seems like it's common sense to learn from the mistakes that uh, you've been a victim of, but it seems so many times we repeat the same thing, whether it's that we do the same thing our parents did to us, or we make the same mistake over again. We, we treat people the same way 
a leader did in the, to us in the past. Mm-hmm. Every time we get something bad, we should realize, oh, wow, I'm being taught here what to do because I know I don't want to do it that way. Right. And, and that's a blind spot of leadership. I and mean, we've got to have the courage to ask people, how can I, you know, what did I do well and what can I do better? Mm-hmm. And are there things that I need to be aware of? If you have the courage to ask that question and for people to communicate with you, uh, that's an important key. When Shackleton had some very difficult decisions, you know, he would often pull people aside from his team and say, what do you think? How should we go about this? Uh, what's your perspective on it? And of course, when he made big decisions, he made them with his captain and a few key people. But he would bring other people into his inner circle and say, what do you think? And particularly the members of the of the team that might be the uh, the negative naysayers, he would pull them closer. Actually, the people that are most negative slept in his tent because he didn't want them to negatively impact the morale of the entire team. And matter of fact, when they took their ship that James carried from Elephant Island to South Georgia Island, he took the two pessimists with him because he didn't want them to stay behind for months and then, you know, breed that sense of insecurity with all the other team members that were there. So it's such a powerful concept and a powerful tool. And I just love that, uh, that sense of teamwork, that sense of camaraderie uh, that he brought about it and also managing his team effectively. Yeah, he was very uh, worried about keeping everybody upbeat, making sure that morale um, was productive. Right. Any, any tips that we can apply to our situation? Yeah, just like today. I mean, we're going to be facing, you know, in this pandemic, we're going to be facing months of challenges. And the goal is to stay positive and upbeat regardless of the challenges that we're facing. And we will make it through this, but it'll be months of uncertainty. And it may be months of uncertainty when we go back to work and will, you know, will I get sick or can I stay health? Excuse me. Can I stay healthy? Because I envision a workplace that, you know, all of us will be wearing masks Mm -hmm. somewhere down the road, trying to restart the economy and getting people back to work. And so with that sense of uncertainty, you know, you've got to have things that you do in order to keep people positive and upbeat uh, and even in a socially distant world. So you've got to do some things that are fun and different and keep that morale up. Uh, Like last night, uh, the entire family played a Zoom game for family Hmm. night. And we had our kids from all their houses all together on Zoom playing a game. And it gave us a great diversion and gave us a sense of being together, even though that we weren't. And so during these times of challenges, do anything you can to keep the, the everybody positive and productive and an upbeat spirit is so, so mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trying to be an optimist is, is important so the team members can see that. Right. And it's your responsibility. I mean, don't get me wrong. As a leader, there are times when you wonder, will, this, will we make it? Will we survive? Um, one of my very first experiences manage an organization was it was a troubled place. It actually should have been closed down. Uh, it was bankrupt by all senses of the words, but they wanted to save the organization. And there were times when I started there and I was running it, I was going, my God, will we ever survive? Will we do this? But I never let the team know that that was my yeah. fear. And, and Ernest Shackleton didn't do that either. He, he wrote in his diary, you know, please Lord, you know, let me make sure I save the men. But he never let them know that he had any sense of that we can do this. He was always thinking about that next move. And he was always thinking about where do I take the team next? They had to go, you know, they had to go from the ship. They had to go what was called uh, ocean camp. 
And then they moved from there to a place called Patience Camp because the ice flow was moving. And they basically had to wait for the ice to go in a counter or, excuse me, a clockwise movement. So it would basically pull them out away from the South Pole out into open oceans. They could actually release the lifeboats and be saved. So they basically had to wait for months uh, for the ice to move and move them in that direction. And so he had to stay upbeat and positive regardless of the situation. So that was so important for them. And it's so important for us and the challenges that we're facing right now for you to manage the crisis that you're facing is to make sure that you stay positive and upbeat regardless. Um, It's going to be a challenging time. It's going to be difficult, but we can prevail and we can do this together. And so that's the key. How do we make this? How do we make this process together? When I think about staying uh, optimistic and positive, you can use the story of Shackleton. So were they saved because he was optimistic or was he optimistic that they were going to be saved? Uh, I think actually both. Um, You know, one of the keys that he did is he really looked for team members who are optimistic. So when he hired his team, he hand-selected everyone that was on there except one stowaway uh, that I think got on the boat at Buenos Aires. And um, he actually, when that, when that kid got on the boat and they finally found him, uh, Ernest Shackleton just berated this kid for being <laughs> a stowaway. And he told them, if we run out of food, and we have to eat someone, you will be the first. <laughs> wow. And so I can imagine this guy being right in his face and just screaming at that, this at him. Uh, but then he gave him a job and said, this is your task. And uh, the young man did, in fact, survive. And it was one of the great adventures of his lifetime, obviously, with being Ernest Shackleton. I mean, he had no idea what was going to happen to him, but he just hopped in the boat and went. But, he, you know, the boss was always optimistic. And when he found challenges or situations and lots of things came up that were unplanned for, uh, he stayed optimistic and upbeat regardless of what occurred. Okay, we've had this challenge. The boat sh- uh, sank. Okay, we got that challenge. Uh, now we're on, you know, uh, ocean camp. Uh, we've got to move here because now the, the ice flow is is becoming, you know, unsafe. We need to get on a bigger piece of ice that's thicker and safer and more secure. And so then they had to go there and then they realized that they couldn't pull their life rafts. So they had to stay there and wait and just be patient for the ice flow to move. And then they would, in fact, you know, take their measurements to see where they're at. And there were times when they would move 16 miles in a day where the wind was blowing that much. So they just had to be patient and, you know, had that spirit of we're going to accomplish this, we're going to achieve this. And just with with your team and with the challenges you're facing, in order for you to manage that crisis is to keep that upbeat. I highly recommend that you get a copy of, of, uh, you know, Shackleton's book, Mm -hmm. Uh, endurance and it just get it in audio format and listen to it because it's such a powerful powerful tool and it really makes you think if he can be optimistic in that type of situation we probably can be optimistic and really in any situation absolutely um i'm trying to think of the great um explorer that uh, was the first to to uh, climb mount everest um help me with the name here I'm, I'm not uh, sure. Uh, oh, gosh. But anyway, he said of he said of Ernest Shackleton's adventure, he said, you know, a lot of people can deal with danger. But then being in a sense of danger and being uncomfortable for months on end is very difficult mm-hmm. because even when they would sleep in their sleeping bags, they didn't have anything to put on the ground underneath them. So literally their body warmth going through the sleeping bag would melt the ice underneath them and they'd be end up in water oh, and wow. trying to sleep with water being wet and, you know, just being wet 
and cold for months on end, but yet being optimistic in that situation. So I just think that's such an important lesson uh, for all of us is to recognize that, you know, this is a challenging time, but most of us aren't incredibly uncomfortable. We're going to be able to, you know, have food. The grocery stores are staying open. Uh, the basics of life will survive. So, you know, that we can make it through this. And I yeah. think that's such an important lesson. We can uh, have that same type of, of feeling that uh, we, there's no need to give up because we can make through this. Exactly. Well, good. And, and also being helpful to other people. And then the last thing I want to talk about was with Ernest Shackleton is never give up. Yeah. Shackleton faced instrumental obstacles. And the chances of success at times, even put together by his team, were you know 10 to 1. And I really believe it was probably less than that. If you had 40 expeditions that did the same thing, my suspicion is probably 39 of them would have failed and lost some members of the team. Uh, but he didn't do that. But he stayed optimistic. He kept going regardless of the scenarios that were around him, regardless of the situation that's occurring. And it's just an extraordinary story. And I highly encourage leaders to get a copy of Endurance, get it in an audio format. It's Alfred's Lansing's book, uh, Endurance. Get it in an audio format, listen to it. And also the guy who does the voiceover on it is just extraordinary. I just mm. love his voice. I love how he did it. I love his enthusiasm. I love his vocal variety that he uses with the, the reading of it. And I can still hear him say, and you'll be eaten first oh my. Uh, with such a great voice. And so it's just a great tool for us as leaders when we're feeling down or depressed or we're feeling overwhelmed that we, in fact, have some hope. And Alfred Lansing is that hope that we can use to overcome the challenges that we're facing. And so that truly is how you manage in a crisis. Uh, lessons from Ernest Shackleton's Antarctic Adventure. That's great because we really do need the hope and we need to look forward and um, make sure that we're uh, taking care of each other throughout any of the challenges, whether it's this challenge that we're going to get through or any challenge that uh, organization may um, come across. Absolutely. Now, if people want to contact you, uh, mm -hmm. I know that you are traveling the nation. Oh, wait, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you are uh, quarantined like the rest of us. Right. Even I have canceled. A lot of events have been canceled. There's no question. Actually, what I tell my clients is that have canceled them. I say they're not canceled. Let's just consider them postponed yeah. until we restart again. So there you go, folks. Even superstar public speakers like Roy Rowland still are quarantined and doing their part to stay at home. But uh, that makes you available for people to get a hold of you if they need to. How do they do that? Yeah, absolutely. The best way to get a hold of me is probably uh, just send me an email at rory at coachingmanager.university. That's rory at coachingmanageruniversity. Just look me up on the website too, roryroland.com is another way to contact me. And also, we're going to give them the uh, offer again, Paul, if you would like to have a copy of Coaching Manager University. It's my 52-module oh, yeah. online learning program where you can learn to be a better coach and leader. Uh, I will give that to the very first person who sends me an email and says, I would love to have coaching manage university. So giving that away for folks so they can actually during this downtime, when you've got some time and you're, you're quarantined, you want to improve your skill sets. It's a great tool to help you improve your skill sets while you've got some downtime. Now's the time to sharpen your saw. And uh, so I think you mentioned this last time. That. Did you say Shakespeare wrote uh, some of his best work during a epidemic? 
Absolutely. During He actually lost two siblings during a pandemic, and so his parents were incredibly frightened of that. And so uh, they had several pandemics that broke out in his lifetime. Uh, he was also, if I'm correct, uh, he was alive during the Great Plague where 30% of Europe died. And uh, he actually, it's reported that he wrote King Lear and Romeo and Juliet during a pandemic. So just a great time to sharpen your saw, yeah, improve your skill sets so that we get back to work. You are a yeah. better leader and a better manager. That sounds good. That sounds like a good positive note to end on. And uh, we'll see you next time. Okay. Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, thank you. Thanks for listening to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join us next time for another discussion about the power of coaching. This has been a KCTK production produced by Paul Lavoda and Rory Rowland. For more information and content, visit RoryRowland.com.